This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Zupan's, where you'll find on sale now, of course, it's hatch chili season. Yep. So there'll be hatch chilies. You'll also be able to get uh, hatch cornbread muffins Ooh. over there on sale. Nice. Uh, Sarah's cookies, Amqua ice cream, and of course, I don't know if you've ever noted, I know you've noted it, but if anybody hasn't been to Zupan's to check out the selection of sausages they have there, they have some chicken and pork sausages on sale. They've got right an now. unbelievable selection, and there's always like a sausage of the week. Yeah. And they're delicious, and uh, I'm sure they can guide you to one you might like. Oh, yeah. There's so many. I could guide you to one that I like. <laughs> Which one is that? Do I put you on the spot? But I, I had one. I had just the English banger the other day. Okay. Just straight up classic English banger. Like, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. They're, by the way, their meat and fish cases yes. are fantastic. Yep. And, the, and everybody behind them is very helpful. Other thing that's uh, super helpful is their specialty items. It's back to school time. And I saw this the other day, Chris, when I was looking for my wife. She wants a reusable produce bag. And they have this awesome selection of Zupans made in France, uh, pretty much what the French people carry around. But right next to that, uh, they have this really great uh, stuff for packing lunches for your kids. If you want to be sustainable and stop using plastics and stuff that's not going to go away in the environment, they've got a great uh, bunch of essentials to help you stay organized and sustainable in corporate lunch skins, stasher bags, you conserve and maple. Um, all sorts of selections for you. If you're if you're packing lunch for your kids or doing the bento boxes, Zupans is the place to pick that up. Stock up. So you're talking about uh, products from France, mm-hmm. from Italy. Pasta di Liguria, one of the smallest coastal regions in northwest Italy. They have. It's really whoever did the packaging for this pasta. Mm-hmm. It's it's got to win packaging in the year. It's so beautiful. But uh, the pasta was delicious, and uh, they have great pasta selection, by the way. And Zupan's also can buy their Zupan's homemade sauces mm-hmm. to go with. We do that all the like. time. Yeah, so it's great. But check out pasta. It was one of my recent purchases that I really enjoyed. We've just named off like five awesome reasons why we love Zupans, and you will too. You got to check out their three locations Lake Oswego, West Burnside, McAdam, and always Zupans.com. Here it is. It's time for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And, as we always do, we introduced each other, Court Johnson of Kink.fm, and a good friend, too. We had the opportunity to go out to dinner the other night for the first time in a long time. Yeah, it was uh, good times at uh, Ringside Steakhouse. Yes, you actually do eat. It's oh. good to it's good to see that. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I, I I eat probably more than I should, and it's easy to eat good when you go to Ringside Steakhouse. Well, that's true. I and mean, the only reason I mention that is because we're together recording this podcast all the time, and we get very little time to go hang out. So it was nice, and it's always nice to uh, join folks. As a matter of fact, with our guest today, Nicholas Van Eck of Arizo. You could, and anybody else could, come join us at Arizzo, which is a very special restaurant. Uh, Eater just named it one of the top new restaurants, or the best new restaurants in the USA. Yeah. And, and Nichols' partner, Jacob Harth, uh, was nominated to be an Eater Young Gun, or is an Eater Young Gun. Yeah. Um, their food is really great. They're getting great reviews, and 
we have an opportunity to come join us uh, on September 11th. That would be 9-11, right before feast. Um, and uh, join us for a multi-course dinner with gift certificates to some of their favorite places. That would be Scott's Lodge and St. Jack. You leave with those for, so for 160 bucks, you have a full course dinner paired with wines and leave with gift certificates. Their normal dinner paired with wines is 190. So here's an opportunity to try it for a little less. Yeah, and I should point out, Chris, if you are interested in this uh, PFA coming up on September 11th, you can go to portlandfoodadventures.com. Just click on the uh, dinners tab, and it'll be right there. You can purchase tickets through your website. These guys are interesting. Yep. They worked with each other, Jacob and Nicholas, at um, at St. Jack and then at Bar Casaval. And, of course, we had um, Nate Tilden on recently talking about his opening of Arizo, and you know he they're part of a group now that includes olympia provisions and clyde common uh all nate's restaurants bar casaval and of course Arizo now and there are some others i'm not i'm not naming all of them right but um it's a real impressive restaurant most importantly that we haven't mentioned yet is they're working with seafood that is sustainable and uh, not the usual seafood that you would see on a menu, and they're doing it in very interesting ways over at Arizo. And so there's a lot that goes into that, into planning menus and sourcing product, and we talked to Nicholas about that in this podcast, about how that works, and, um, and I think it was a very enjoyable conversation, and these are two really nice guys uh, that do a great job. So uh, it was fun to hear from him about the start of a new concept in Portland that's doing really well. So here it is, our conversation with Nicholas Van Eck from Arizzo. Right at the Fork is proud to be supported by Zupan's Markets. For over 40 years, unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to the freshest baked goods, flowers, and more, with a delicious emphasis on locally sourced items. The best of the Northwest Bounty can be found at your closest Zupans on West Burnside, McAdam, or Lake Grove. And at Zupans.com, eat well, put taste first, love your food. By Ringside Steakhouse. Owned by the Peterson family for generations, Ringside Steakhouse has long been a landmark of the Portland landscape, featuring impeccable service that has set the standard for nearly 75 years. Enjoy the finest aged steaks, their world-famous onion rings, and even Ringside's legendary late-night happy hour. Whether it's a special occasion, a business dinner, or just a great night out, make a reservation at ringsidesteakhouse.com today. By Portland Food Adventures. Tempt yourself with an incredible Italian food vacation with Astri Enzyme and a wonderful October journey to Bologna and Emilia Romagna. It's all at PortlandFoodAdventures.com under the Trips tab. Contact Right at the Fork host Chris Angelus for more information and special savings on these PFA food journeys. And by Gen Air Quality Appliances at Standard TV and Appliance. Standard TV and Appliance is your source for the best of Gen Air and associated brands, where you can check out the latest technology in appliances like Gen Air's remote access ranges with a host of other cool features for your upgrade or remodel. Gen Air and Standard, both staples in Oregon and Washington kitchens since 1947. Hey, it's payback. It makes me feel better. Yeah. I didn't realize you didn't recognize me. Oh, well, I probably shouldn't have said it. 
No, it's okay. No, no, it, it makes me feel know. so much better because of the incident at the Portland Knife House. So. Oh yeah, that was Jacob. I know. Okay. So <laughs> that. So you know what happened there, right? Not uh, that I want to like repeat this to a, a thousand people, but no, I met Jacob, and then I went to the feast thing at Arizzo that night. I had just met him, and then I started talking to you, saying, "Hey, it was good to meet you." So you guys both have beards. One, one could argue that on a on a first glance, it, it might not. I'm just rationalizing it's, this. It's not a fashion choice. It's just a a function of not shaving. Right. Well, I get that. If you so, don't shave for a while, you that's you what grow happens. Beards. Yeah. Yeah. So both of you are busy. So that's what happens. That's correct. But no, it, it, it's been a very confusing between you and Jacob for me mm-hmm. because of, you know, I met one of you at Portland Knife House and then <laughs> there was a thing. And then last night, um, I wanted to ask you about this. So last night I went to the Growing Gardens dinner, Chef in My Garden, and you're not mentioned. You're there. I knew you, I had asked you if you were going to be there because it's all Jacob, Hearth. And was there a reason you weren't mentioned? I asked. Uh, I think that they... I'm mentioned sometimes and I'm not mentioned sometimes and that's usually to the discretion of the person organizing it. Okay. I think maybe it's a little bit easier to uh, feature one person. To feature one person. It's a, and also Jacob is a lot more in the public eye than I am. And why is that? Um, I think that he's been working really hard on being uh, you know, a public figure chef for a lot longer than I have. Um, I've just been a person that focuses on being in the kitchen and um, I also haven't really been, um, you know, in a prominent role in a, in a kitchen in the same way that he has for as long as he has. So, mm-hmm. so it makes sense that he would be. Okay. Well, so I was confused because when you weren't mentioned and the, by the way, beautiful dinner, that was so good. Thank you. Um, quite a few courses, not as many as you do at Arizzo on a, on a three night a week basis, but, um, that was, it was really delightful, but I was confused because when you and I spoke and we talked about who was coming on the podcast, you had said that you were a little more comfortable with being on mic than Jacob. So when he got in front of 80 people last night, mm-hmm. I expected him to be a little nervous. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was very, he, he was excellent. In, he was great. His presentation, what he was doing. So, um, you know, it's further confusion. I'll get this figured out by our event. Well, we're doing on nine eleven. I will know that you and you'll know me regardless of what I'm wearing. I hope. Yeah. So, <laughs> anyway, we'll get it figured out. So, um, but yeah, it's been Arizzo week. So we were at Bar Casavale. We did an event, and uh, Nate Tilden, who is your, uh, you know, who's how, how do you present Nate? Is the owner of Arizzo? He's our partner. He's your partner. So there's a yeah. So the partnership arrangement is the three of us right okay and we're we're operating he's kind of our um i wouldn't say silent partner mm-hmm. but you know he's not he's not in the restaurant on a daily basis right well he's in he's not in any but a very restaurant. active partner yeah he's yeah. an active partner wherever he is we sure. did a, a pfa event with eric and and nate was serving so yes exactly very often. <laughs> so um was that was Arizzo um it, it, obviously, it was built with a lot of thought and a lot of passion. Was that built around you two, or did Nate have the idea and then come to you guys and say, I have this idea for another restaurant? Well, it did start with Nate having an idea. I think it, it came out of the space. Um, uh, before I worked at Bar Casavale or Jacob, I think that Nate had thought about it a little bit. Biwa was there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was looking like they weren't going to be there very much longer. There was some talk about the space becoming available. And Nate had this idea of just a really intimate dining space there. Um, and when Jacob started working there, they started talking about it. I was actually planning on moving to New York um, or San Francisco. I was kind of debating moving out of the city. And um, I came, I was traveling around the country and I came back to Portland and Jacob asked me if I could have a coffee with him. And he said, hey, I think this space is going to become available um, and I want you to be my partner. Um, and you guys had cooked together at a few different places, correct? Yeah. Along the way? Uh, well, just at St. Jack. Just at St. Jack. And then at Bar Casa Valle after uh, that. Yeah, those yeah. two. So, um, so it, that was almost two years ago. Mm. But, um, you know, we thought it was, we thought we were maybe going to be able to get in there within a month or two. We had no idea. And so for, for a while, it was just kind of a waiting game of, you know, is this space going to become available? We don't know. And um, so we had a lot of time to, to develop the idea. So it kind of morphed from just this nebulous, uh, we'll serve a, like, we'll serve a tasting menu in this really intimate setting to uh, the much more fully realized concept that it was when we opened. But, and it, it's, it's not an easy concept. So it, no. it involves a lot of research and time and passion. So you can't just call it in every day. So why don't you explain to the uninitiated what the concept is at Arizzo and why, by the way, it's gotten, it's very, it's quite different and it's gotten some national acclaim really quickly um, recently, congratulations on being named to Eater's um, top 16 new restaurants in the USA. Thank which you so is much. Cool. And Jacob is a you know a Young Gun nominee. The only other two that I know of, and when I, since I've been paying attention to it uh, in Portland, was Gabriel and also Maya Lovelace. Maya Lovelace, right? yeah. Am I right in knowing those three uh, off the top of my head without researching? Yeah, and I believe Will from Holdfast as oh, well. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Never want to leave Will out. No. But, so, interestingly enough, those are Holdfast and Arizzo are sort of, they have some common uh, elements in how it's presented. But why don't you talk a little bit about what you're doing there? So, we serve a, a tasting menu anywhere between 15 and 24 courses. Um depending on what's available. Um, so the concept is really based on on that, on availability. So uh, we have our commercial fishing license. We're going out to the coast once a week, sometimes every other week, and we're um, sourcing a lot of the ingredients ourselves. Um, that license allows us to work directly with fishermen. So um, we're not doing any fishing ourselves. We want to keep uh, continue to support the fishermen that we've you know uh, built relationships with over the years. Um, but it does allow us to work directly with fishermen, um, support them, put more money in their pocket, and also get the product that, that we want. So um, things like bycatch, uh, fish that they're not necessarily planning on catching, but um, you know, it, needs to, it needs to be consumed. It needs to go somewhere. It's kind of an underutilized product. Well, and before you were doing that, where, were that, where was the bycatch going? I mean, and I'm sure, you know, it's... It, it's not. It's not a black and white situation. It's you not guys, a black and white situation. You guys came but, into the picture, and all of a sudden, there's a. It's the first time there's use for it. But in some cases, it's just being thrown back, um, which uh, you know, there are there are issues with that. Um, in some cases, it's going into a freezer. Some uh, bycatch products are legally required to be kept, um, and it's just going into a freezer until who knows what happens with it down the line. 
Um, and in some cases, they're creating a special market for it. There are even cases where uh, the bycatch is the more desirable fish. So things like opa uh, coming from Hawaii, are they're not planning on catching it, but it's a prize catch. So um, so that commercial fishing license allows us to to basically go out there and see what's available and um, and serve whatever we find. Um, so that's kind of the inverse of how a lot of restaurants work. They write a menu um, and, then and, and then they figure out how to source it. Yeah. So that creates a lot of problems. And we, we um, our cooking is based around um, just using what's in front of us and, and finding a way to make it really delicious. So were you, uh, and there's more to it too, but were you really passionate about that before this happened? Or have you, in researching it, become more passionate about it in other words is it something that you thought you're young so you didn't have many years in front of no, you cooking yeah. to say this is what i want to do but <laughs> is it something you thought about before or all of a sudden it's like, oh that's interesting let's try let's i don't think it was a singular vision for for jacob or i uh definitely has been a theme of jacob's life though um and it's something that just kind of naturally comes about when your your mindset as a cook is what's available uh what's sustainable what's delicious um, you you kind of end up at the ocean eventually with mm-hmm. that mindset. So and it's it's beyond bycatch, though. You've got some other things that you you have. It's trifold, the uh, the type of fish or the product that you're you're sourcing and serving. So we have uh, we also use our commercial commercial fishing license to uh, forage. Um, so the things that we can't get from fishermen, there are a lot of products that there just isn't a market for. Um, so certain clams, um, certain kinds of mussels, we serve a five-year-old mussel, uh, surf mussel, um, also known as a horse mussel, um, that grows to be like 10 inches long. Mm. And it's one of those things that chefs haven't worked with. They don't know how to work with it. There's sand in it. It's tough, but the flavor is amazing. So we find those ingredients and we mess around with them and we figure out a way to make them delicious. Um, and that's a way to just kind of uh, take pressure off of um, off of certain products that are just being um, overproduced or over-farmed or over-exploited. So do you, as time goes on, do you feel like there's going to be enough progress made in this area so our grandchildren will have fish to eat or... Um, does it feel like you're just trying to set it, just spark the match and see if other people catch on? Well, I think it's both. I think there's room for uh, for really practical and real improvement in in that industry. Um, we definitely don't have a doom and gloom attitude. I think that that's a really terrible place to start when you're trying to um, affect change. Um, I think that there are a lot of ways that we. Um, that we could end up 10 years from now still having a really vibrant uh, seafood culture. Um, and I think that starts with um, creating a market for it because there's kind of a, a catch-22 where guests aren't aware of uh, the diversity of products that are out there and chefs don't want to serve a diverse range of products because uh, there's not a market for it. Um, but as chefs, I think it's our responsibility to, to create interest. And I think in Portland, you can get more traction on that faster than you can in some, I think basically on the West Coast, probably. 
Um, but in some other markets, you know, people just want to order salmon and clams and right. what they're used to. But at least here, and especially with the concept, it's cool because that's what you're you're on an adventure. It's not going to be your typical thing. You wouldn't you wouldn't serve just coho salmon at the restaurant, correct? I don't I don't definitely know. I don't not speak no. for you there. Um, and you're also sourcing some product from elsewhere, all over the West Coast, generally speaking, and the you know and serving that some product that's a little tougher to get and that uh, has a purpose behind it. Right. So it's not all from Oregon. It's definitely primarily from Oregon and Washington, from the Pacific Northwest. Um, but sustainability um, isn't always about what's right by you. Sometimes it's about the way that it's caught, what's available. Um, so things like hook and line caught uh, yellowtail from Southern California. Um, these are things that aren't nearby, but it's the best and most sustainable option. And it's more sustainable than sometimes things that are being fished right here with uh, lesser fishing practices. But we don't source anything without knowing the name of the boat, the fishing vessel, and uh, the captain of the boat. Wow. That's pretty cool. Do you have a log? Uh, we do not have a log, but we have we have a bin of fish tags oh. that kind of acts as a log. Cool. So um, when you're... What, what have you served so far that has been universally uh, raved about um, that people were surprised that they didn't know they were going to like? Yeah, people really love the octopus, the Pacific red octopus. Um, so that's one that uh, we had never seen served anywhere before, uh, before we got it into the restaurant and tried it. Um, it's a bycatch of crab fishing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's actually getting into the crab pot gorging itself on crab and then it can't get out wow um and what's the difference between the red octopus and the, the octopus i would normally order in a restaurant typically you're getting a spanish octopus mm -hmm. so it's imported oh so that's from around here the red octopus we can find yeah we get it all uh, all down the west coast so sometimes it's from alaska sometimes it's from washington or oregon and even all the way down to baja mm -hmm. very cool so one of the cool things about having you on is that um, I found over the years, humble people have a hard time um, promoting themselves. Or so, but we can have you talk about Jacob and um, yeah, <laughs> talk, talk about what makes him special and why you're why you love working with him. Assuming you love working with him, yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, Jacob's a he's kind of a creature perfectly suited to a restaurant environment and kind of produced by it. He's, he's a restaurant person for sure. He's a, like a born chef, I think. Um, and I was just really excited when I met Jacob because until then I had worked with a lot of really talented chefs, but I hadn't really connected with anyone in the way that I wanted to talk about food. And so when we first met, we definitely had a lot of really long conversations um, and we really clicked around the just the way that we approached food and touched food um a little bit more cerebral i think jacob's a really thoughtful guy and i really appreciated that about him um and he's a good listener when it comes to food um a lot of people you know talk about just writing a menu and and figuring out how to source it um jacob just naturally has the mindset of um looking for what's available and and kind of checking things out and tasting it and trying things and, uh, you know, day to day figuring out what the food needs to be itself. Um, 
And that was really refreshing to me after kind of a long time of um, thinking that you were supposed to take mediocre ingredients and kind of beat them up into tasting good, which is another totally okay way to cook. Yeah. That's another, that's another talent, but Mm -hmm. um, it was a, it was definitely a shift in thinking for me when I realized that cooking didn't have to be that way. So he kind of led you there and you had some other, I don't know, you, uh, I know you said you were at St. Jack and Bar Casaval. Where were you before that? Um, St. Jack was my first real fine dining cooking job. Oh, so um, going into the kitchen with Aaron right yes. off the bat. That's that's interesting. Yeah, I was uh, sort of an apprentice with Aaron and mm-hmm. uh, a French guy uh, there at the time. Um, by the way, that's Aaron Barnett. Aaron Barnett. We can't, we, we can't, my fault, we can't assume people yes. know who everybody is. Um, and so go ahead, I'm sorry. So I had a, a kind of another uh, little short career trajectory before cooking. Um, I, I was in the publishing world um, and working at an art gallery and um, I thought that I wanted to be in, in that world. I went to uh, an art boarding school for, um, for, for poetry. Um, oh, you got any good poems you can reel off right now? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely. You don't want to hear my my high school poetry. I don't think I should you be know, you might publicly it, shared. Yeah, well, it, you may be able to Google <laughs> Google something. I Google. I, I tried to Google this morning. I didn't get far other than Rockford, Michigan. Yeah, and so um, yeah, there your poetry wasn't out there. But so so I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. But so in Rockford, Michigan, you developed an interest in art. And that's what you thought you were going to do. That's what I thought I was going to do. Um, and I, m- my uncle is a chef. Um, my grandma is an amazing cook. My mom's an amazing cook. I was definitely surrounded by really uh, big personalities in the kitchen growing up um, and loved food. Um, I worked uh, at a farmer's market. It's my first job when I was 10. Right. Um, that's was, early on to be working. I was just really fascinated with fruit, and uh, I like to ride my bike down to the farmer's market, and uh, there was a old bearded guy that had a farm stand, and I thought he was really interesting, and um, I kind of struck up a friendship with him, and I asked him for a job. Um, and he, and he, ta- he said, did he tell you one day you're not going to need to shave every day? So that's yeah. how that happens? <laughs> I did, no, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> Um, and he said, uh, yeah, I'll see you on Monday. This is a, you know, the Saturday farmer's market in mm. Rockford. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. Um, I'll, I'll see if, if I can. And he was like, nope, you'll be there. You'll be there on Monday. Um, so I, <laughs> so that's I started a, working that's on this a farm. interesting, isn't it? You were getting into child labor laws. There, Definitely. Yeah. Forcing you to come on Monday. It, se- it seems like a really cute story of a kid working <laughs> on a farm. It was kind of fucked up in retrospect. Um, but it was good. Um, and I, you know, working on that farm was definitely a, a cool experience for me. Um, you know, get, getting to know produce in a way that you really you don't in in Michigan. Going to the grocery store, yeah, and, um, and Michigan's got some great produce and especially fruit. I mean, I don't know, I'm definitely, not, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a it's a shorter growing season. It's nothing like out here, but there's a lot of incredible stuff. And he was uh, growing organic produce, which at the time. Uh, no one had heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was he was pretty radical, um, and yeah, it was really good. But so I had been anyway. I had been kind of surrounded by food and interested in food my whole life, and um, 
had this idea that I wanted to, um, you know, to, to be an intellectual. I think that that's what I, I had pictured myself in academia or um, writing books, um, as a lot of people do when they're in high school. Um, but, well, I was, I was working in this publishing company around college age. I dropped out of college, moved up here, um, and I was working in a pizza place. Um, and I was having a lot of fun at that job. I was having a lot more fun at that job than in, I was at in my... In Portland? In Portland, yeah. I was working at Pizza Cotta. Oh, okay. Um, and I started just getting really fascinated with St. Jack because it was a block away. Mm-hmm. And um, I had never been to a fancy restaurant before. Um, so um, I kind of pictured it as this, like, um, like Elaine Decasse was Aaron Barnett. Like, I thought it was this, this kind of... Uh, really holy place. Um, so I was kind of obsessed with Aaron and I hatched a plan. I don't know if oh, he knows no this. Oh, no pun intended there. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if he knows that I planned this, but my brother and I put together a, uh, a series of fundraisers for his art gallery um, where we would invite chefs and um, and the plan was that I would, part of, the, you know, part of the deal was that I got to work in the kitchen with the chef um, so I helped Aaron cook this dinner and we got to know each other and we had some aquavit and I asked him if, if I could have a job. Um, and it was kind of the same deal. He was like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Wow. You've so, heard that before and it worked. Yeah. So, um, so I worked for free for a little bit for Aaron until, uh, until I knew enough of what I was doing to, to get paid. I was kind of a mess. And how did that come about? Did you I have to ask him? Zero, or did he say it's zero cooking failure? experience, right? And and I'm sure he could identify. He can, he could recognize that right off the bat. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But but Aaron's uh, he's a teacher, yeah. So I think that he really enjoys uh, doing that kind of uh, bringing people up. Well, I would also think it's uh, particularly. Um, Gratifying to take someone who hasn't it doesn't have bad habits necessarily. You got no habits. Yes, exactly. So that was probably pretty good. And how long ago was that? Was that at the Clinton Street? Yes, St. Jack. Yeah, towards the end of the Clinton Street St. Jack. Right. So there were that was a tiny kitchen, as I understand. Yes, it was. Uh-huh. Yeah, we prepped in the dining room. Right during the day. Yeah. Uh huh. And then uh, did you go with them over to um, to Northwest Twenty Third? Yep. Yeah, so I was there for about five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, so I didn't really skip around and get a work at a bunch of different restaurants. I kind of just I liked working for Aaron. I just stuck with that, and and I wanted to be a sous chef, so I I hung around there until I was able to do that. And when did Jacob come in along the way? Um, he came in a couple years into that. He was there for a, the last couple years that I was there. Mm-hmm. And you guys struck up a pretty. You, you'd obviously met quite a few people in that kitchen over five years. Yes, definitely. So uh, you hit it off. And when was was there ever discussion about doing something together? Or you just yeah, totally. At, at that point in time, yeah, I don't think either of us knew that this would happen that we would open a restaurant, but we definitely talked about it and and um, definitely both had our own our own plans. Um, so what is it that you bring to the equation, if we can get in the head of sure, Jacob, yeah. <laughs> that, that rounds it out, that, yeah. uh, that where he didn't want to do it himself necessarily, he wanted to do it with you? What is it that you're, what's your, what are your strengths? Well, uh, 
I think similar to Nate, I do a lot of a lot of different things. You know, I have a kind of artsy background, so um, I worked with a couple of my friends to do all the design for um, all of our branding and all of that stuff, um, designing the concepts. Um, Nate and I uh, and Jacob all built the space, um, and the kind of the design of the space was a kind of uh, a project of mine. Um, and I make pastries. Um, I'm not a pastry chef. I have zero training, but I've kind of taught myself um, and took an interest in that at St. Jack. So I was doing, after Alyssa Frice, the extremely talented pastry chef at St. Jack. She's down in Florida now. She's down in Florida. She took off and um, it kind of became a sous chef job after she left to do the pastries. So that was um, an intimidating. Uh, I would think so because the bar was fill. really high. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I kind of just, um, you know, figured out how to do some really simple stuff and, and I don't have a ton of technical savvy when it comes to desserts, but, um, but I like simple desserts anyway. So, um, did you make that dessert last night? I did. Yeah. Olive oil cake with cherries. It was delicious. Oh, good. It was perfect on the summer night. So those cherries are great. Yeah. How long does it take to pit cherries? I was just wondering that. And you <laughs> probably have a machine or something. But well, you have a little, yeah, use a pen. A pen? Yeah. Like yeah, a, good. Thank yeah. you. I needed a, a, some kind of advice on that because I said to Renee, my girlfriend, I said, well, this is 80 people. This is quite a few cherries to pit for this. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, it's probably you guys. For you, for you, you know, but for me, who cooking breakfast is a big ordeal. Yeah. <laughs> so, um but it was delicious, and I, I would have thought that would have been done by a pastry chef. So, yeah, per I de- se. yeah, maybe I should call myself a pastry chef at this point since I do design the pastry program. But I think I have just enough imposter syndrome not to not to say that. Yeah, well, that's true. So um, I don't want to disrespect actual pastry chefs out there. Yeah, but at some point, I'm sure there are uh, pastry chefs with a lot lower skill level than you that are calling themselves sure. pastry chefs. So. Let's pause here for a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse, which is freshly, what do we call this, Chris? Freshly remodeled? I would, I would say you'd be safe in calling it a remodel. Yeah. And, and a little bit of a, a little bit, of, uh, let's call it enhanced, remodeled and enhanced. Love it. And by enhanced, I'm referring to the menu. So um, they have some new dishes on the menu uh, that are pretty great. I had their crispy octopus the other day. Yeah, this is the crispy Spanish octopus on the uh, starters menu. Yeah, exactly. And it also happens to be on the bar menu. And so one of the things, if anybody is familiar with ringside happy hour, which occurs after 9.30 p.m. and on Sundays. From 4 to 5. Um, yeah, Sundays from 4 to 5. Um, Ringside's well known for having, at those hours, one of the best happy hours you can find on the planet. But they've, they've always had a happy hour menu with some great bites priced between like 350 and $6. You can get a hamburger. You can get steak bites, which are, everybody knows are fantastic. But they've now taken the bar menu, and during those hours, you can get half price on those, that crispy Spanish octopus. You can get the enemy steak tartare. Uh, jumbo shrimp cocktail, anything on the bar menu, half price during happy hour. So in addition to some new items on their menu, the entrees, 
check that out. We're not going to read them all out. You just need to go to ringside and check those out yourself. Yeah, and and and, and part of the uh, enhancement that we were talking about, the sunken bar is now expanded. Right. So it used to be that just Jimmy could fit back there, and everybody knows Jimmy. But now mm-hmm. Jimmy and Andy, whom I met at Fish House, and now is over at Ringside Steakhouse. So two, two, they they can fit two people back there. Your drinks come up faster, and it's twice as cordial as it was before. Very nice. Now, with all these enhancements and the remodel, there are some of those things that you love. They're still there. Monday is prime night, and they have their three-course supper specials. So the things you love still there, and then now more things for you to love. Right. And so Ringside, it's a classic in Portland for now 75 years. The Peterson family has owned it. So, um, you know, Portland's all about the next shiniest thing, but I would I like to believe that the restaurants that have stood the test of time are those that should be visited and on the top of everybody's restaurant bucket list. Ringside Steakhouse should be right there. That's right, and it's easy to set up reservations. You just go to their website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. By the way, that's something we've never discussed. What is what what criteria is there for all the designations of sous chef? Um, I mean, I know there are hierarchies involved, but there is no real certification. Anybody can be anointed something to make them sound more <laughs> yes sound like better a, than they might necessarily be. Right, it's like being a priest. Right, and now that we're now that there are events mm-hmm. where people are trying to are selling tickets, you obviously you know you want to find as many. Um, accolades and reasons so someone could be called an executive chef that may not be worthy i would imagine i don't know i just you definitely when we're talking about pastry chefs so i'm just curious as to what what's holding you back um you do do, you know you do a great job and you're at a a restaurant that's uh that people are paying attention to you couldn't you couldn't continue to do it if you're if your pastry suck (laughs) yeah I am producing pastries, so I think that that's the I think that's the main certification that, are that you're, ma- you're making it. Oh right, yeah. yes, you, they don't have to necessarily yeah. be good. <laughs> they don't have to be good. So, um, and that uh, as just as a matter of course, no pun intended. The um, do you do generally do one dessert after twenty four courses at if you if you're serving that many? We do two desserts. You, that's what yeah, I mean. at least two. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, uh, so whether it's 15 or 24 courses, that depends on what you've been able to source. Right. Yeah. So we won't fill in with things that are kind of unremarkable just to fill space of, there's a lot of, um, most of our products are inconsistent actually. Um, so, and sometimes we don't know until four o'clock that day that it's not. So luckily we have a printer in the restaurant, so we can we can wait till the last minute to print those to menus. Print the menu up, but and what does it take to figure out the the giant muscle? What, what was the name of it again? Horse muscle. Horse muscle. What does it take to go through the process of trying trying that and getting it to the point where you think it's it's ready for prime time? Well, first we taste you know some bad versions of of uh preparations of it um we definitely eat some sand in the process of figuring out how to cook those things um with this it was just um with the muscle it was breaking it down into its component parts and tasting them separately um which is a really uh really fun process um so the band on a typical muscle 
you know, the muscle that you'd get a bowl of steamed mussels at a restaurant, the band is edible, right? That that kind of rubber band that goes around the edge of the muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a larger muscle, it's often really chewy. And um, if you're like a like a green-lipped muscle that you get in a restaurant, a lot of restaurants would take that band off, peel it. Um, but for some reason with the really large ones, as it gets bigger, um, it's like its own part of the muscle that's really remarkable in its own way and has a, like a really fatty, chewy texture that reminds me of almost like a lardon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the actual cheek of the muscle, the meat of it, um, which is you know, most of the uh, most of what you eat when you're when you're eating a muscle that um, needed to be uh, removed from the belly and cleaned really well, and then ground up. Um, is how we eventually ended up serving it. So we make like a bolognese out of it Um, because uh, visually by the time you've done all that cleaning, it's not the prettiest thing. Um, And uh, that's the best way that you can ensure that there's no sand in it. Um, But the thing that's really cool about it is that the flavor is just amazing. Um, It's much stronger in flavor than, um, than a farmed mussel, but it's also a really different flavor. Uh, it tastes kind of like somewhere between crab and lobster and mussel. Mm. Um, and it has that um, that thing that lingers on your palate after you eat something like lobster or uni or a spot prawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really intense, really deep oceanic flavor. Do you, have a, do you have an iron stomach? Because I would imagine, two parts to this question, are there <laughs> things, do you have to actually do, other than maybe asking fishermen or people in the industry, are there things that you're not sure whether you should be eating it? No, no, I don't think there's any. I mean, we're always sure of the safety of things. Um, you know, we do some research. We don't go out there and just right. like nibble on the beach. <laughs> um, I mean, with coastal plants, you can do that. There's no such thing um, as an inedible plant that lives in the ocean. Okay. Um, That's good to know because my dog, who just hit 15 this weekend, he's been eating, you know, we walk on the beach for we've been walking on the beach for six years. He eats what he wants to eat, and he doesn't go after dead birds or dead crab. But he's, you know, he's eating quite a bit now. My puppy's doing it, so that's good to know. So, and I think that's why they're pretty healthy. That's why he's fifteen, and you wouldn't think he's fifteen. <laughs> he's eating a lot of great stuff. Yeah, definitely, it's really good for you. All those coastal grasses are great. Oh, nice. That makes me feel good. So maybe we'll get another few years out of it. Um, and but no, we've never gotten sick. Just to, to answer your question, no, I've I've never gotten sick. I don't think Jacob has. Oh, that's good. And but have you ever? I'm sure you've tried things and said, "No, man, that sucks. We can't make that good." Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, um, I find that kind of interesting because in order you don't have there aren't a lot of chefs or people in the industry out there who are doing a lot of experimental things. Mm-hmm. Um, in Michelin star restaurants, sometimes you'll find that. Yeah. But here, uh, that's pretty cool that you um, are discovering new things that people haven't eaten before. That's got to be give you a lot of gratification. I it's a lot think. of fun. Yeah, yeah. It's really fun. And did you think, have you had, um, at Arizzo, have you had, I imagine you've had some industry brothers and sisters come in there to uh yeah and and uh what are they saying well it's tough to get a lot of industry people in there because we're open three days a week and right. the busiest and, days and, and for the, restaurants and not sunday and monday yeah so there's a lot of folks that haven't made it in yet um 
but hopefully we hopefully we get to add another day that's a little bit more service industry fr- friendly but we did some uh some soft openings and we got we got some chefs in there yeah that's cool well cafe castagna i'm sure others do it but i remember specifically they used to have an industry night over there on monday yeah. night so. yeah we're hoping to do that eventually that would be kind of cool and you don't need to do it every monday just once a month make it a special thing right so people can do it so what um what do you like to do outside of the restaurant? So you're open three nights a week, um, and a lot of the other days takes time. So yeah. you're going out to the coast one of those days. Obviously, you're not going out on a Thursday or Friday, uh, I don't think. No. I mean, sometimes we are. Sometimes we'll go early in the morning um, on a day that we're open, but that's not very, very often. Uh, we usually go on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Nice. Going out to the coast. And yeah. do you make it a recreational trip while you're at it? I have we to tr- imagine you do. <laughs> yeah, we try to. Um, especially now that the weather is good, we can jump in the Trask River on the mm-hmm. way back. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll we'll drop off a crawfish pot in the river and then um, go do some foraging, come back, jump in the river, pick up the crawfish pot. So we work in some some fun. What are your fa- some of your favorite spots out there? Um we go to a place called Three Graces near Gar- Garibaldi um, mm-hmm. for a lot of the stuff that we get. Um, sorry, Jacob, if I just gave away our secret spot. I don't think it's a huge secret, um, but it's just gorgeous out there. Um, Where, whereabouts is it? Let's guide people. No, I'm, I'm, I'll either ask you now or later because I'm nearby. So, Well, there's always room in the truck if you want to jump in. Yeah, I'd love to come sometime. Um, in the back of the truck, like, you know, the old... <laughs> in the cab. Yeah, in the not, cab, good. Not in the bed of Either, the truck. Anyway, I'm not fussy. Um, yeah, I'd love to do that. And so you're generally going around around Garibaldi. Do you go down to Newport? There's a lot of great stuff down there, too. Yeah, definitely. Not not super often. We're usually around uh, Tillamook and Neatarts Bay. Mm-hmm. It's our, our most frequent spot, but we'll go... Um, Jacob has gone down to Port Orford to meet with the divers down there, the uh, urchin divers... Um, and last week he went up to, uh, up to Seattle, mm-hmm. um, and went into Puget Sound, um, was doing some jellyfish fishing. I don't know if you say jellyfishing or jellyfish fishing, but he was no. catching jellyfish. And edible, obviously. Yeah. And can you do anything with the Valella Valella by, by the wind sailors that show up on Manzanita once, generally once a year? You know what I'm talking about? I don't, know. Yeah, I'll send you a picture. They're pretty cool. They're these little, and they come in by the droves. So they have these little kind of bluish sail on top of them. And uh, they come into Oregon beaches, I think generally around May or June every year for a few weeks. And then they sit on the beach and then they smell for a little bit and then they're gone. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Um, I'll send you a picture. I'd love to see if you can at some point, obviously it's not in season now, um, if if you can find out if there's anything that you can do with those, I imagine Jacob has thought about this. Okay, if, yeah, if it if it exists out there, I'm sure he's. Oh, come and it's it. pretty prominent. Yeah. I mean, they're they're out there, and and everybody's always saying, "What are these?" I see it all over Instagram. So, um, what brought you out to Portland? You came from Michigan. What was it? Uh, my brother was out here. Yeah, my my older brother is he's ten years older than me. He and moved out here in 2005. And what does he do? Oh, so you haven't been here long. Um, no, no, I've been here for about nine years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And what does he do? Um, he works uh, for the city. He's in the he's in the city government. Um, and he's he's kind of a saint. He 
he works on poverty issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so he works in a place called the Idea Lab, um, and he kind of sits around all day thinking about how to end poverty. It's very lofty. And that's good. Well, you're both doing lofty things, right? So he's doing that, and you're trying to keep us in seafood sure, and, yeah. and, and eating healthfully. Yeah. Um, for a longer period of time. What did your parents do to instill this? Obviously, there's a common thread. Um, yeah, my, mo- my mom is a pastor, or was a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, so we grew up, um, none of us are really religious anymore, but we grew up with a, a pretty in a pretty religious environment. It, and um, is she still religious, or is she? Um, she I'm not, less, sure. I, I'm not know, sure. I've been reading about some people just leaving the she's not yeah she's not super involved with the church at this point i'm I'm not sure what her what her beliefs are i think she keeps those uh keeps those sometimes you don't want to ask yeah (laughs) and what about your father um my is he religious no what did he do what he was a construction worker Mm -hmm. yeah and then later in life a truck driver yeah so he was uh he did concrete was his thing okay he did a lot of different stuff build you know uh, actually putting up buildings and stuff so you have to he have a, a crane operator work, when he was younger good work ethic to do that yeah you just call that in yeah definitely he's That's a hard worker cool. have they been to Arito? have you had them out my mom has my dad hasn't yet all right well that that'll be a fun experience yeah for him. um so what do you like to eat when you go out are you staying away from do you move away from seafood uh, you want no to i love seafood on a on other things? No, it's kind of tough to find um, in Portland. Um, there's not much of a seafood culture here. There are definitely some really great spots, but um, but it, you know, I think a lot of people in Portland have noticed um, it's kind of a tragedy of a seafood scene here. Considering I moved out here thinking that's what I was going to get, and in, and in, in that's not to disparage anyone who is doing awesome stuff in the in the seafood. Uh, department here but it just in relation to how much incredible stuff there is out here it's um it's not it's not at pace well also it's not directly on the ocean the city itself right so that has some impact because it's you know an hour and a half depending on where you go an hour and a half to three hours to get there so it's not the it's it's not you know like baltimore or san francisco which is right there um, but I was, I, yeah, I was surprised when I moved out here. I thought I was going to be eating cheap salmon all the time. And uh, now it's really a pork city. It really is. Yeah. More than anything else. Um, so what do you like most about living here? Oh, uh, I love living here. Um, so you're not looking back. You have no, no. interest in... No, I, I did try to leave. Like I said, I tried to go to New York. Did um, you actually, were you planning that or did you actually get there? Oh. Well, I went to visit, um, and I, I got, you know, kind of halfway through the planning process before I, uh, decided to stay here and open this restaurant. Um, but I moved out here just thinking I would come out here for the summer and, uh, hang out with my brother for a little bit. Um, and it turns out that he was really busy. I got off the plane and he went straight to work. So I was like, I was thinking I was going to have this like summer with my brother. And then, uh, and then I had to figure out what to do. And so I did a lot of wandering in my first couple weeks and I ended up just walking through Portland um, and going to uh, Pasta Works on Hawthorne um, and, you know, walking there and walking back and kind of just wandering around with some whitefish. 
And um, to me, that's just uh, absolutely my favorite thing about Portland is just walking through neighborhoods and and then uh, going to the grocery store. I think that's like uh, my hobby. You're asking if I have any hobbies outside of work. I don't have a lot of time, but uh, that's that's the best when and I have a day off. It's one of the things I, I, was, I would guess it's going to be the case coming from Michigan, but coming from the East Coast where grocery stores, there weren't yeah. the variety and, the, you know, the fresh produce that you had. Yeah. We had some spe- special markets, but they were farm markets. You couldn't do all your shopping. Right, there. right. And out here, just it's insane the number of great opportunities there are to yeah. shop. So I love the grocery store. I feel like I couldn't ever leave Portland for a city that doesn't have uh, something like New Seasons or Provador. Or um, Zupans. They're our or, sponsor. We have to say oh, it. Oh, yeah. Zupans is great. Well, have you been to Zupans? I have, yeah. It's, they uh, they closed the one that was closest to me. So Right. over on, That was a while ago on yeah. Belmont. Um, but their seafood department's pretty good. It is, yeah. Um, but yes, there's... There's no shortage of, uh, I, I don't think most people have one market that they go to at all, you know, that no. have an exclusive market. You kind of play around, and then, then, of course, there's farmer's markets, too. Are you down there? Yeah, yeah, we're at the farmer's market every week, mostly for work. Yeah, picking up a little bit of this. So what is what do you see as the, um, the future for the restaurant? Um, and things are changing a lot. Um, your market, your your model is um, fairly sparse. You're doing the serving, mm-hmm. so you don't have a lot of employees to support. Or yeah, we do have employees who are. We have servers. We have a beverage and service director, Treva Willis. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you had said that you you were doing most of the. Well, no, we do. We do also run food, right? Um, in the way that a lot of tasting menu restaurants do these days, mm-hmm. uh, the chefs will come out with with a couple of the courses um, just so we can uh, talk to the guests and connect right. with them. Um, I think people like that around here. Yeah. Just yeah, like, I enjoy it. Just like you need to know the source of your food, where it came from, you yeah. know who cooked it. It's, it's fun for me, too. Um, I've never worked in the front of house, um, at least since I was a pizza delivery driver. And um, I like talking to people. I like, I like talking to the people that I'm feeding. It feels a lot better than... Um, just being in the kitchen and sending the food out. Yeah, well, it also gets so, you out of the kitchen, too. So, yeah, Arizo is definitely a very different job than, than any job I've had in that way. And what have you learned so far? So you've been open about, what, almost six months? Just over six months. Over six yeah. months. What have you learned so far that has been the most surprising thing that is something you didn't think you'd, would be a factor? Mm. And I don't mean to put you on the spot. Oh, Maybe yeah, that's, a, that's pretty broad. Uh, no, nothing comes to mind uh, specifically. Um, it's uh, it's definitely a weird restaurant to work in, um, in, a, in a way that is really positive. Um, it's just daily life is not any, not at all similar to uh, to life as a sous chef in a, in a normal kitchen. Um, part of that is just being an owner of the restaurant, too, so... Um, I'm talking to guests throughout the day, booking reservations, cooking. I'm, you know, sometimes on the phone and stirring a pot at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a unique challenge that's taken me uh, some time to get used to. 
Oh, I'm sure it'll, it'll get easier as you go on. So what about decision-making between three partners? How's that? How does that work? Um, really well, really, really fluid. I think Nate is, Nate really trusts us and empowers us to make decisions. Um, and he's kind of there to, uh, to help nudge us in the right direction when we need help making a decision. But, uh, you know, Jacob and I have a pretty good workflow as far as just being on the ground and making decisions day to day about, about what we need to do. That's cool. So for those who don't know, we just had a podcast with Nate Tilden. Um, but Nate has some nice experience in Portland with restaurants, Olympia Provisions, uh, Clyde Common, mm-hmm. of course, Bar Casavale. He's had a number of iterations of OP worse than OP and, um, and now, and, uh, and now this, and you guys are right next to Scotch Lodge. That's a separate, that's completely separate, but completely separate. Yeah. But that's a hot corner yeah, right now. Definitely. Um, are you friendly with those guys at Scotch Lodge? Definitely. Yeah. I love Scotch Lodge. That was a blessing to the building. There's another place to get in a groni after work. They're open a little bit later than Bar Casavale too. So oh, we are very happy about that. Yeah. And it's, uh, there's some cool people over there too. Um, we, I'd love to have Jacob on as well sometime, talk to him about what's going on over there. And I'll look forward to, we have our event, uh, nine 11. We're going to, um, have a, uh, how many courses do you think? Well, we're, how's, how's that going to work? Is it going to be similar to our it's dinner gonna, that we had last night? Uh, yeah, I think it'll be similar to last night. It'll be kind of a condensed version of our tasting menu, less, uh, less courses. Uh, usually we'll do, you know, 20 to 25 tiny bites of things. And at this dinner, we'll be doing more like four to five more composed dishes or more involved I dishes. I like that and, better. I'm not a big one, but I, I love it. But one bite, I have a terrible food memory. Yeah. So on course number 16, right. <laughs> I'm not liable to think of it. Well, we, 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 we group were, things together. Um, oh, so that okay. helps. I, I feel the same way. I think the the one tiny bite after another can be a little bit exhausting. So we group things together, sort of Kaiseki style. Oh, that's good. And it should be that way. But see, with one bite, if I like it, I want more. Right. So, and that's it. We're on to the next thing. And uh, uh, we were talking about that last night. And the folks with us, they keep a diary of every dish they like when they yep. go out to eat, which my mom did too. And she kept a diary of the dishes. She didn't like yeah. that was more fun to read. <laughs> and and I tend to um, take a picture of it on Instagram so I can go back and refer to it. But I don't always write the descriptions. I might take a picture of the menu. So, um, but it's a good way to do it. And I'll look forward, I will look forward to it. I appreciate your, you know, right at a time when you're getting a lot of attention and press, um, doing an event with us on a Wednesday night, an off night. And it's right before feast. Definitely. We're excited. Yeah, I'm excited. And I assume by the time this podcast comes out, we might be sold out. If we're not, go to portlandfoodadventures.com and look for uh, our event. But we've already we've already sold out. We sold uh, a few tickets. I just sent it to my regular folks, my good regular folks, and they're in. So um, uh, that'll be fun. Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot to ask you exactly what might be there. The crudo last night... I would love to have that, but you don't know what's actually going to be available. No, we don't. September. Yeah, that's a long way away. Yeah, so um, we'll look forward to that. Anything else? Um, oh, tell us where to, how to get reservations. Um, 
and where to find you online and Instagram and all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, our Instagram is Arizo PDX. Um, Arizo is E R I Z O. Um, our website is ArizoPDX.com. Uh, and you can book through the website or you can book through uh, Resi on the app or online. And how far out are you now? Um, we're pretty booked for the next um, couple of months, but there's um, most evenings have enough space for a two top or a three top to squeeze in. We're just about full for throughout those next couple of months. Do you leave any uh, any tables free for as you get closer, just for some people who might want to book at the last minute? We don't take walk-ins just because it's uh, it's so expensive to throw food away, and, right. and we don't like to throw food away. So we prepare just just enough. So for even guests. for that week, though, just coming up on it, whatever. If it's if it says sold out, you're sold out. You can book at the last minute, but the last minute is one p.m. Day of, so that's the that's the latest you can go. Okay, and where yeah. did the, where did the name come from? Um, Arizo is Spanish for um, for urchin, so it actually translates to hedgehog. Um, and in Spain, they call uh, sea urchins the hedgehog of the sea. Oh, very nice! And you're serving that quite often. Aren't we are, yeah. Whenever we can get it, yeah. Since it's a namesake, you can't just forget about it. Yeah, it's got it's got to be top of mind. And top of palette. Well, thanks very much, Nick. So, I asked you before, but just publicly, you prefer Nicholas or Nick? Both. Both. Anyone. Yeah, either one is great. You're, yeah, it's great. Okay, Nick, because I think I said Nicholas. <laughs> I feel more comfortable. I always feel more comfortable with the shorter version of, of anyone's name. It's a lot of syllables, Nicholas. Well, it's, it's not so much that. It's a, It just feels... Uh, you know, like uh, I'm not going to add Mr. Nicholas Van Eck sure. in front of it. So it just it feels a little more informal. And I think we're in a, look at the way I'm dressed. We're in, yeah. and we're well, all, look at me. Yeah. yeah. We're all slightly more informal world. Um, thank you in this formal or informal world for coming in. Appreciate <laughs> thank you it. so much, Chris. And, yeah. Thank you. And thanks for a, a wonderful meal last night at Growing Gardens. And also I'm going to suggest people go look up those folks, growinggardens.org, I think it is. Or just Google Growing Gardens Portland. Yeah, amazing charity. That's a yeah, great that was a great event. Charity, they do some great things, and, and they have some um, great opportunities to enjoy uh, dinner in a beautiful garden with great people. And I'm telling you, last night, uh, hearing Jacob talk was fantastic. So, um, And hearing you talk was great, too. Thanks so much for coming the next morning. Thanks, Chris. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. At